0: Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. We are finishing up our resilience series today. You're lucky to end on such a high note. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't think of anyone less worthy. <laughs> no, no hear me out here, could there be anyone less worthy? And I start to think about, you know, naturally I'm not a resilient person. I wouldn't say it's in my temperament. But as I prayed about it, God gave me this word of you are strong and resilient, but it's only through me that your faith gives you the ability and the strength to stand here today and deliver a message on something that doesn't always come naturally. And that's okay, isn't it? Not every time you preach, you're gonna preach on something that you're really, really good at yet. All right, so I will pray for myself. Please pray for me too, that God will give me the wisdom and the clarity and the words to say in a good way. All right, but you know what? I say that I'm not naturally a resilient person, but I actually love the word resilience. The reason being it's become a buzzword for teachers. (laughs) We talk about it all the time. And I won't go too far down a rabbit hole of why we have to talk about resilience, but I can give you a clue. It's because it's not necessarily being taught in homes anymore. So schools have grabbed hold of this word to prepare children to become ready for the real world because guess what, they're not, a lot of them aren't. It's actually quite sad in that way because back in my day, my dad particularly would say to me, you're not feeling well, go get a drink of water, go for a run, you'll be fine. (laughs) But now we have adjusted hours. We have kids saying, I'm going home early. Any, Any form of anything that goes wrong, they don't cope with. It's actually quite sad. So we're focusing on resilience but resilience is this word that no kid knows what it means and they think it's big and they can't remember it. So for young kids, we really look at it as being, hey, when you fall, you can get back up and try again. Right. Teenagers, you like, I like to say to them, hey, you've got a problem, let's keep on pushing through. Turn up, show up, you can do this. Right. You know, it doesn't matter how you word it. With resilience, it's something that is not a one-time thing. It takes practice and we practice it until we die. <laughs> unfortunately. That's what it takes to live and survive being a human being, resilience. When you have a tough time, you know, like I said, you keep showing up and pushing through, which isn't easy. However you describe it, resilience relies on your ability to get back up and go again, doesn't it? But human nature wants us to stop. You're fighting your human nature constantly because it wants to stop and protect yourself from hurt. That's what we naturally want to do from trials. We're like wounded animals. We want to take ourselves away, put something around us and make sure no one hurts us again. We don't like to be vulnerable to hurt. We don't like people to see us when we're hurting a lot of the time. But the Word is contrary to human nature. and A lot of the time, God requires us to do the exact opposite of what we know to do. And what the Word says is here, God wants us to get up. He wants us to keep going when we're wounded. He wants us to be vulnerable in a sense. He wants us to attend church, which can be one of the hardest things to do when you're wounded and you know people are going to see it. But how do we do it? And I believe character is the key. Developing our character has to be the key to this. And it can only be done by learning the character of Jesus Christ in how He lived and how He died. Now, obviously we don't wanna die the painful death of crucifixion and we won't have to, but Jesus showed us and taught us a lot in the way He died. And I wanna go into that a little bit today. Our scripture focus has been Romans 5, verse three to five. And I want to read it in in its entirety to you. I'm gonna break it down a little bit too. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Now this Scripture is a small one, but there's so, so much in it for us to learn from. So I'm going to take it from verse 3 and it says that you can rejoice when you run into problems because that helps you develop endurance. Now, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I've never met anyone who rejoices during a trial, who's looking forward to suffering. It doesn't seem like the thing to do. I've only ever experienced the after. After you go through the trial, you rejoice, don't you? You kind of go, number one, I survived it, I got through it. Number two, I'm stronger because of it. So I've learned to rejoice after. I haven't yet learned to rejoice during or in anticipation of Can anyone raise their hand if they they do do that, if they enjoy suffering and trials and tribulations? Got a few martyrs in the building, well done. Not bad, you're closer to Christ than the rest of us. (laughs) You know, I've spoken about endurance before. I think it was in my last preach and how much I hate endurance. The word endurance sounds awful, it is awful. But you see, endurance is this rigid mindset. And it's one that sets itself to endure through any trial, to see it finished, to come out the other side. So endurance is different than resilience, but they are closely tied. Now, although I don't like the word endurance, because once again, it goes against my personality, my natural inclination is to stop, to have a whinge, find someone who can share the burden, maybe help me with it. That's not true endurance, really, is it? That's what I'd naturally like to do. But verse four goes on to say that endurance is what develops your strong character. So guess what? You can't have that. You can't have this wonderful character of Christ if you cannot endure through those tough times. When we look at the life of Jesus, it's very evident. There are so many examples of his, not only strong character, but his endurance. Jesus came to the earth with the intent to die. Can you imagine that being your ultimate plan to know that that's what you're looking forward to in a way? He knew God's plan and he knew it would take true endurance to see this plan come to fruition. He knew it would not be an easy road for him. Even though he was the Son of God, remember he came as man. So he knew he would suffer physically, emotionally, mentally. He knew he would take on what we would take on in the natural too. And you know what? Jesus had many opportunities to give up on it. He didn't just do it because he had to. There was many opportunities he could have given it away, given it up. And we see this. And I want to take us to Matthew. And this is one of my favourite passages of Scripture. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is getting ready to die, really. He's taking his disciples with him. So we're going to start at verse 36, chapter 26, I should say. So Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. So already we see that Jesus is not in a good state of mind here. He's not rejoicing in his suffering in this moment. He knows what's about to come. And verse 38 says, He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he asked the disciples to do something for him in his moment. He went on a little farther and he bowed his head with, to the ground, sorry, his face to the ground, and he prays, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So we see here he's asking God, Hey, you know what, God, if you can, can you take this away? I don't really want to do this. We see this Jesus moment of, I don't want to do this, but guess what, God, if it's your will, I will. I will do it. Then he goes back to the disciples and guess what? He finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. And we see Jesus give the disciples a really important lesson on endurance here that guess what? Your body won't always want to do the things that the spirit requires you to do. That you will get tired, you will, your eyes will close, you'll want to sleep at times, you'll want to give up. But I'm asking you to do this because it's my will, not yours. And Jesus discovers that the disciples are not able to do what He's asked them to do. So at the very moment, almost at the point of death, the disciples have disappointed Him in some ways, which is interesting to see. So He goes back, He leaves them a second time and He prays, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When He returned to them again, He finds them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. They were obviously very, very tired. But Jesus has said the same type of prayer. This time he's changed it a little bit. He's not asking really, he's just saying, okay, I guess he's a bit more resigned to it, isn't he? If the cup can't be taken away, I'll do it. So he went to pray a third time and he says the same things again. Isn't that interesting? Three times he goes with this similar petition to God to ask him to take this cup of suffering away from him. So even though he knows God's will in this moment, he's still asking God if it's possible. And I don't know about you, but there's many times I've done this. I've realised I have to go through something, but I've still asked God to remove it. I've asked God to ease the burden, if you like, to give me some relief or come back to me later when I'm a little bit stronger and I can cope with this. But Jesus has accepted His fate in this moment. He knows the Father's will. So He comes back and He says to them, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. So what he's discovered is he knew what was coming. He knew he was about to be arrested and he's accepted his fate. And he says to the disciples, it's too late now. Don't worry about being awake. The time has come. So he's accepted where he's going. These prayers reveal Jesus's mindset just before the crucifixion and his total submission to the will of God. And that's amazing to me because we see his emotional state wasn't stable, but his spiritual state was. His spirit was resigned to the fact that the Father's will needed to be done no matter what. And you see, Jesus was punished for crimes he didn't commit. Now, crucifixion was a Roman punishment, but it was designed for non-Romans. So the Romans were the elite. They didn't get that punishment. But what they did was they said crucifixion was reserved for violent criminals, murderers, rebellious slaves, and those convicted of high treason. And we know Jesus didn't do any of those things. He wasn't a criminal in any way, but certainly not those crimes. But yet he was punishable by death and crucifixion. And why he was, we see the story of Pilate. Now, Pilate was a people pleaser at the end of the day. That's what he did. The crowds loudly said they wanted Jesus crucified. So Pilate said, okay. And he tried to convince the crowd. He tried to say, you know what? Jesus hasn't really done this. I don't think he's worthy of that. Let me try this instead. No, the crowd's like, we want him. And they exchanged Jesus for a violent criminal. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? They exchanged the not guilty for the guilty. They were willing to put someone back out on the streets who was known to be violent for someone that was innocent. And I don't know about you, but we see this reflected in modern day culture, that the crowds will loudly shout about people who haven't actually done anything wrong and people can be cancelled within an instant. And it doesn't matter whether you're guilty or not sometimes. Guess what? You are gonna face this, what Jesus did. So guess what I'm saying is being a Christian, your resilience needs to be high because you will be accused wrongly. But you know, Jesus' character was so developed at this time that He put His Father's will above all else. Knowing His body would be broken, knowing He would be humiliated in all types of ways, that people wouldn't understand, the disciples didn't get why He was leaving them, that His family would grieve Him, that His mother would watch Him die. There are many reasons why Jesus could have stopped. But yet His character was so developed, He went to the Father's will. He endured it all to make sure it was done. That's true character, isn't it? Because it goes against the grain. It goes against this mainstream idea that says, do what makes you happy, protect your rights at all costs, make sure your family are okay. I could go on and on and on, but Jesus didn't do that. The more you build your character though, verse four says, your hope in the salvation, of your salvation, sorry, is strengthened. So building character goes hand in hand with building faith. So as you build your character, your faith is strengthened. And that's crazy to me because God doesn't always do things in the the natural like we do. In a single mindedness, He gives you double sometimes. So as you build that character, your strength will also be, um, uh, your faith will be strengthened. Truly knowing you're saved though will mean more than just spending eternity with Him. Although that's our end goal we need to be encouraged to actually change while we're here on earth. So developing character is what we do while we're here, isn't it? Enduring is what we do while we're here. Resilience building is what we do while we're here because none of those things we need when we're in heaven, we've already attained that. So we've got to focus on what we're here to do also. So I was reading this study done by psychologists on temperament and personality versus character. And sometimes there's confusion over what is what. But here are some interesting points I want to go through with you. Considered the primary foundation of personality. Your temperament is thought to be present at birth. So it's what you're born with. It's those aspects of your personality that you're born with. In other words, it's what you come equipped with based on your biology, not your experiences. So all of us come out of the womb with some sort of temperament, okay? And that's unchangeable in a lot of ways. We can, we can navigate and mould and like we do with our children, but we don't necessarily change it completely, temperament refers to your disposition and your tendency to adopt certain behaviors and have specific reactions to your environment for example you're overall in energy levels some people bounce out of bed others just don't do they energy levels is something you're born with unfortunately you can change it with exercise and diet but you know we're not going to go not to go into the, <laughs> that's for another day God'm um, <laughs> not I don't have the energy for that one number two you're Adaption to change. So some people respond well to change and they move with the flows of life very easily. Others don't. Others like routine and structure and find that hard. Number three, curiosity. You know, you'll have naturally curious people and people that accept the things the way they are. My husband is someone that just accepts things. I naturally wanna know the why behind it. And if I can get to the why, I feel like I'm okay then. When I was at school, I had a math teacher. I think he hated me. He didn't say it, but I, I wasn't good at math, number one. And number two, he had to spend a lot of his time explaining algebra to someone that wanted to know why these letters could represent numbers. Why do I have to have an X when I could just put a number in there? So I used to say to him all the time, but why, why have we got letters? I don't get it. And one day he slammed his fist on the table. He said, there is no Y, camera. Math, math is the way it is, except there's an X, except there's a Y, that is it. You will never understand the Y. And I'm, you know, harsh for a 15-year-old, but I sucked it up and I said, okay, I'm never going to get why, so I just need to do the work. So I did. And I never used it again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one. (laughs) That's not a good advertisement for us as teachers, but you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Inhibition. Inhibition comes naturally to some people. They're more reserved than others. Maybe fearful is not the right word, but they naturally survey surroundings before they do things rather than just jump right in. Your emotional responsiveness is what you're born with too. Now, my son is very emotionally responsive and I'll give you a funny story. We were watching Raya and the Dragon the other night, put it on the TV and he's seen it already, I think two years ago at the cinema. And he said to me, mum, just remember this is a very emotional movie. (laughs) And remember how people were in the cinema when the man was turned to stone, people got very emotional. And he was very serious. And Bobby and I were having a laugh later that he would actually think about that, remember how other people responded in a dark cinema, and keep that in his little mind for when he was going to watch it to give me that warning just in case I cried over an animated Disney movie, which would never happen. (laughs) But, you know, he's very emotionally responsive to other people's emotions and his own. Others are not. That's just something we're born with. Your demeanor. So, you know, some people have a sunny demeanour and they look like someone you want to talk to. Others have this resting, lovely face (laughs) that implies, implies don't don't approach me right now. It might not be how they actually are, but their demeanour comes across that way. Lastly, your mood. You know, there's those of us that suffer with like a low mood and we have to really get ourselves out of it. And others of us are stable. My husband, another one, he's a very stable mood person. There's not a lot that rocks his boat. (laughs) It's very good for me. So as part of your personality, your character represents your ethical, moral and social attitudes and beliefs. And this is why your character is so important as a Christian. Not so much your personality, not that temperament what you've been born with, but your character. Because it speaks to who or what you believe in. Your character is vital to people around you and to yourself. If your character isn't representing Christ, then who is it representing? And that's a question I ask myself all the time. If I don't have Christ's character, if people can't see it in me, then what am I doing here (laughs) exactly? Character may be more evident in certain situations when you apply your core beliefs to the circumstances at hand. So what that means is your character is on display when those hard times come, when things are a bit tricky in the workplace, when your family has a rocky start or whatever's going on inside of you, that's when your character really comes out to play. And I love this thought. Obviously, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, our character becomes really evident to those around us and even to ourselves. It can be quite illuminating, not always good. But we apply what we know to the circumstances at hand. So when you go through a trial, you're applying what you already know, what you've already learned, the character or you already have. And if our character has not been developed, it's very hard to apply it in that moment. It's not impossible, but it becomes very hard If you haven't worked on your character and you go through something tough, guess what? Applying that will get difficult. Psychologists believe it's unclear when your character begins to develop. They don't know if it develops straight away or it develops in phases. That hasn't been understood yet. But that's not a bad thing because for us as Christians, we're constantly working on our character. So it doesn't matter if you didn't develop it as a child or a teenager. If you've come to Christ as someone in your 40s, that does not matter. God gives you the chance to start now. The nature of your challenges. You know what, when you're a child, you can have unpredictable, harsh, or you could have been sheltered. They can predict patterns in adulthood, but they don't say that that's it for you. So a lot of us say our childhood, because of this, I can't do this. But that's not what Christ has said to us. We as Christians have an advantage of studying the Word and using it to develop the character of Christ. We have a guidebook to know what to do next, to how to behave if we weren't parented well. Okay, so looking at the fruit of the Spirit, for me, that would be a great start to develop character, to say, do can I tick the boxes if you like? Am I practising these in my daily life? We don't need to wait for trials before we start to do this. Let's practice it. Examples of character traits. This is a list from Sykes. This is interesting. Honesty, loyalty, generosity, ambition and integrity are the top five. I don't know about you, but all of those are represented in the Word. All of those are in the character of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit. So although we don't wanna be like the world, the more we study the character of Christ, we become admirable people. People who others will go to and respect and go, they practise those things. They may not understand the character of Christ, but they know what's attractive in a person. Verse five, it concludes by saying, so we're just wrapping up this Romans here, that hope, this hope does not lead to disappointment. And I love that because some hope does lead to disappointment. Worldly hope does. How many of us have hoped for things that have not come to pass? We've prayed for them, we've, we've expected them and they just have not happened. But this type of hope, our hope and our salvation will never disappoint us. We already know the end of the story that Jesus, although He suffered a terrible death, went to be with God as we will one day. That is our reward of what we're working towards. And the verse says that, you know, the Holy Spirit was left with us to give us, to remind us of this hope and of Jesus' love. Jesus didn't wanna leave us alone. He wanted to keep the Holy Spirit with us. So if ever you're discouraged thinking, I can't do this, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, that He was the gift given to you by the Son of God for those very moments. Jesus' final act was one of great character. When we look at the cross, we have to understand what it would have taken to do that. You see, while he was struggling to breathe in incredible pain, he was showing someone else the way to forgiveness, someone else the way to repentance. He was with the thief in his final moments, making the most out of his own suffering, but he ensured that the thief had hope in his suffering. And I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to do that. And I think that's huge to be able to do that for somebody else. He assured the thief that his eternity would be secure. How many times? Have we gone through things and just you just want to give up sometimes, don't you? It's easier to stop, to retreat, to wait till you've got a bit more strength, till you feel a bit better. Whatever the situation is, you're waiting for that trial to go so you can do what you're meant to do. But Jesus shows us that through our trials, we're able to help others. We're able to see out that while we're suffering, that hope is still possible to give to somebody else. The Word encourages us to go through trials with faith we can see many examples in the world of resilient people you know you only have to go to a TED talk to YouTube whatever you can see people that have gone through terrible hardships and they've endured they're resilient they've come out the other side they have great character but one thing they don't have and not to diss them in any way but to say as Christians one thing they don't have is hope they don't have hope for their suffering, why they go through what they go through, but we do. And our hope is this in Jesus Christ, that He not only gives us hope in this life, but the next. So why we're doing what we're doing is for a bigger reason than ourselves. We're assured of an eternity with Him and whoever we can bring with us, which is amazing when you think about that. Like I said before, it's not just about us. It's not just single in that, but whoever we can bring with us. And I'm gonna land with this story. Um, and. I said last night, it's a bit of a brag and I hope that's okay, but um, I don't do it a lot. I usually diss him in my sermon. So (laughs) one of the most resilient people I know though is my husband. Um, And if you know him, you know that. It's, It's pretty obvious. I knew Bobby before he lost his legs. And can I tell you, he was a very different person. And he often says that. And obviously he was a teenager, but he changed a lot through what he went through, which is normal. But going through what he did was a making or a breaking moment. And um, by God's grace, it was a definitely making moment for him. Bobby had the opportunity, though, to become a well-earned victim in the way that someone who could be taken care of, protected, you know, all those things, but he didn't get that chance with me. (laughs) No, I'm not, um, that's harsh. Um, (laughs) When I wrote that, it sounded funnier, not as harsh. Um, But seriously, seriously, he could have. He could take that opportunity and run, run, not run, (laughs) walk walk with it. Sorry, babe. But you know what? Seriously, try as I might, I have tried to get him to stop and he is determined to do every reckless thing that he could possibly try on God's green earth. Like there's not one thing that I've thought, oh, that's, that's okay. He's gone, I can do this. But I've seen a boy who lost everything turn into a strong, confident man. And the endurance he's shown has provided this great strength of character that now has strengthened his hope in Jesus. His faith has grown through what he's gone through, the man that he is today. That his story is accepted, that his story is worthwhile just as it is. You know, many people have said, but don't you want your legs back? Let's pray for that. Let's hope for that. And I'm not saying that God can't do it, but his testimony isn't what really happened to him or what he lost, but rather what he gained. And we're starting to see the fruits of that now. You know, when we were younger, Bobby really wanted to go skiing, to try skiing. (laughs) And... We had moved to Spain and Bobby got a scholarship, not a scholarship, I want to say scholarship. He got to play wheelchair basketball professionally and that was his dream, to be paid to play sport all day, every day, that's all he did. He loved it. And he really wanted to, to try skiing. We were nearly married and I wasn't keen as per usual with anything like that, but I thought, okay. But the team that he joined, they trained out of a rehabilitation hospital and basically they had an indoor court. They had funded and paid for and set up literally to give their patients hope. We lived in an area where motorbike accidents happen frequently due to excess speed and a a really poorly set up roundabout. So this hospital was designed to take in spinal cord injuries, amputations, all the worst motor vehicle accidents that you could possibly see. Spain is not big on road safety, so everywhere you go, there are a lot of vehicle accidents. And it's quite scary in that way. It was the first time that I saw toddlers using tiny little wheelchairs The patients would be wheeled down, either in wheelchairs or beds. Wherever they were at in their process of recovery, they would be moved down to the basketball courts to watch the guys play and train. And I used to walk up the halls and they had all these framed photos. And the photos had all of their patients... With a lot of their patients in the process of recovery or after recovery. And it was things like skiing. You'd see them skiing in a chair attached to a ski. I'd never seen disabled skiing before. But basically all these photos were showing what was possible for these people once they recovered. And for me, everything I realised, everything was set up to remind the patients of where they would end up, the hope that they could have, even with a permanent disability. And as an able-bodied young person, I didn't understand it at the time. And I've never seen a place like that again. But what an amazing idea to set up for these people. And as the time, like I said, as a young person in my 20s, I found it confronting And I didn't realise what it brought the people facing the challenge. I saw the challenge, but guess what? Resilience, endurance, character, all of those things come out of our most confronting, painful and challenging times. That those people were facing the hardest time of their life and they were faced with guys on the other side who now played sport professionally. They were faced with all different types of sports and jobs that were still accessible to them, just in a different way. It's no good for us to pray for hope with our eyes closed to any of this with our eyes closed to the challenges of life, to pretend they're not going to happen to us because they do. So long story short, Bobby skied, not in the chair like I hoped, but um, on his prosthetics, of course. He was determined to do it standing up, which I didn't see logistically how this was going to work. So he went to the slopes and I hated it. I felt like I was gonna hurt myself. I kept falling, so I stopped naturally. And I watched Bobby and he went over and over again, he fell. He crashed into a fence at one point <laughs> until he got it, until he went down the slope without falling first time. And then, then he learned how to stop his skis. And I watched him and I was amazed at the endurance just to keep on going. To be honest, sometimes I think, why? Why do you keep going at this? You know, I didn't, I didn't understand. I was thinking, no, no one's watching. No one's gonna be disappointed. It's only skiing. That's what I was thinking. And I think that a lot about some of the things he chooses to do. But I've realised that when he's resilient and he keeps going even in the small things, those are the things that might not seem to matter, but it sets his character up for the big, that this man can go through anything and come out on the other side. (laughs) Bobby won't mind me sharing this, he's mentioned it once, but he's gone through the biggest challenge in the last couple of years with PTSD. Since his accident, he's been fine for 20 years, he was fine. And all of a sudden it took one incident for him to be feeling like he's trapped at any moment. He goes away for work, he suffers panic attacks on planes, in hotel rooms, wherever he goes it seems to grip him with something he hasn't ever faced before. But yet I have seen him get up and show up on those hardest days of his life and keep on moving. He works, he plays with our children, he does sport, he helps whoever he can. He doesn't stop moving. It is exhausting, but it's also inspiring. You know, to speak at church for him is incredibly hard. He used to vomit before he'd get up here. We don't vomit anymore, but we we, we suffer, (laughs) let's say it this way. But he's convinced that God has called him to do it, so he has to overcome his fears. Life has been pretty hard for him, but all you'll hear him say is how good his life is, how opportunity has come, how he's had the opportunity to experience joy and love and achieve his dreams. So Bobby encourages me to see the good, to really enjoy my life, but ultimately to do the will of God, to be obedient to the call that's on my life. Today, to be here, to do whatever God's calling you to do, to show up, show that resilience and that strength of character because Christ has equipped you for so much more than just being part of a church. You know, can I encourage you to look at your life and to do the same. And although he's my husband, I think I'm okay to say all of that and to say that he is an example of what I believe Christ wants us to be. And if you feel like you can't, because I feel those moments, can I give you this last Scripture as we pray? Paul was suffering in this Scripture. He had a thorn in his side and that thorn didn't go away. It was bothering him. And he said to God, I can't do it. God says back, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So you see, God isn't requiring you to be strong. He wants you to give the weakness and exchange it for strength. So when I'm reminded, I don't naturally have this resilience that my husband has, but I can exchange that weakness every time God will give me strength. So I'm gonna pray with you now, because I know there's some of you sitting there going, you know, it's tough and it is. I'm not gonna pretend it's not. But I know He'll exchange that. I know when you're suffering, He will take you through it. He might not take you around it. You might not get the outcome you desired. But guess what? He will give you strength every time. And that strength leads to hope. Hope does not disappoint. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank You for Your hope. I thank You that You were the perfect example on that cross. That while You died, Lord, in Your suffering, You thought of us. And You thought of that thief and You assured his eternity. So for those people today sitting under the sound of my voice, if they don't know You, firstly, Lord, I wanna start praying that they start to hear Your voice and understand Your love for them. For those of them sitting there saying, I can't do this, Lord, this journey is hard. Resilience is hard. Would you exchange their weakness for your strength? Would you remind them of your unconditional love, that it covers a multitude of sins, that their past is non-existent, Lord, that we can walk together in this future? Right now, I pray for our church that we become known as a resilient church that comes back even stronger every time, that gets up and moves forward, that endures through the hard times, that endures through the changes, Lord, through the things we don't like, that You would exchange our weaknesses for and give us Your strength. Thank You, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.